Good morning. My name is Jacob Rodriguez. I'm one of the pastors here at Church of the Resurrection. Very warm welcome to all of you as we gather around God's word and hear what he has to teach us. Um, as a church, we're nearly finished with our series that we've entitled Kingdom Diplomacy, in which we're covering Romans chapter 12 all the way to Romans chapter 15. And we've seen Paul's picture of the church, a redeemed humanity of Jew and Gentile together living as a sacrifice to God, together working as ambassadors of the kingdom of God, sojourning in the empires of humankind. And today we're going to look at the conclusion of this major section in Romans, Romans chapter 15, verses 1 through 13. If you want to turn in your Bibles now, you can do that. Romans chapter 15, verses 1 through 13. Before we dive right in, let's, let's go ahead and pray. Lord, open unto me light for my darkness. Open unto me courage for my fear. Open unto me hope for my despair, peace for my turmoil, joy for my sorrow, strength for my weakness. Open unto me wisdom for my confession, forgiveness for my sins. Open unto me love for my hates. Open unto me yourself for myself, Lord Jesus Christ. Open unto me your word. Amen. I need to cite my sources. That was a, a, a prayer from Howard Thurman, the great civil rights leader and uh, uh, African-American theologian of a previous generation. This February, as it's Black History Month, I've been listening to the voices of historic African-American Christian voices. I've been finding great comfort in their witness. And one of the themes that runs deep through the entire tradition of African-American Christianity is hope hope. From the evangelistic sermons of Rebecca Protten in the early 1700s, all the way to the great civil rights leader John M. Perkins, who will turn 92 the, uh, this year in June, resilient hope runs deep through this tradition. How does a community persevere through centuries of hardship, struggling, first of all, for the basic right to be recognized as fully human, created in the image of God, and then to persevere, to be set free from enslavement, and then to be given one's own land, to have segregation abolished and given the right to vote. How does one persevere through the massacres and domestic terrorism of the Jim Crow era in the long march to freedom? How does one persevere? One small word, hope. Not mere wishful thinking, not even hope in the goodness of humanity, because if you hope in the goodness of humanity, you will be let down. But hope in the promises of God. A confident expectation that God will do what he has promised. Listen to these well-known words of Martin Luther King Jr. I have a dream that one day every valley shall be exalted, every hill and mountain shall be made low, and the rough places will be made plain, the crooked places will be made straight, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. This is our hope. This is the faith that I go back to the south with, said Martin Luther King. With this faith, we will be able to hew out of the mountain of despair a stone of hope. 
With this faith, we will be able to transform the jangling discords of our nation into a beautiful symphony of brotherhood. With this faith, we will be able to work together, to pray together, to struggle together, to go to jail together, to stand up for freedom together, knowing that we will be free one day. Hope, brothers and sisters. Now, the Apostle Paul, he speaks of this kind of hope, this biblical hope, this hope that, that, that taps deep into the prophetic writings of Scripture, of Isaiah prophesying of every mountain made low and every valley lifted high, of the promises of God himself to accomplish his kingdom across all of the world. And the Apostle Paul, he speaks of this kind of hope in our passage today. You see, in Paul's day, Christianity was not recognized as an official religion by the Roman Empire. And because of this, persecution could flare up at any moment, and Christians were offered no legal protection. Furthermore, the ethnic conflict between Jews and Gentiles was so fraught, it could compromise Paul's entire missionary efforts and tear the church apart. The church was still very young, and in many ways it was very fragile. Would this Jesus movement succeed? Would it last more than just a mere generation? When the apostles would die, would the ties of brotherhood hold up across all of the strife of the ancient world? Anybody who cared about the church in Paul's day would have had to face up to the harsh realities that could lead anyone to despair if it were not for the resilient hope held out in the gospel. And so Paul gives a clear message here in Romans chapter 15. And if you only remember one thing in this sermon, remember this, that hope perseveres in the kingdom of God. Hope perseveres in the kingdom of God. Of God. In Romans 15, at the beginning of this chapter, uh, verses 1 through 13, it, it forms a, a beautiful theological conclusion, I'd argue, to the entire letter of Romans. Paul has more to say about his mission to Spain later on in this chapter that we'll hear about next week. He has some important greetings to send to the church in Rome in chapter 16. But here in chapter 15, verses 1 through 13, he, he rounds out his entire treatise on the gospel that he began in Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. He ties together his brilliant case for hope that he began in Romans chapter 5. He summarizes God's promises to Israel that he introduced in Romans chapter 9. And he concludes his appeal for a united community of worship that he began in Romans 12. Paul is a brilliant author, tying together themes from chapter 1, chapter 5, chapter 9, and chapter 12, all together in chapter 15 at the beginning. In many ways, we can call Romans chapter 15 the theological capstone of Romans. And it ends with the bright blaze of hope. The theme of hope is like a glimmering thread that runs right through this passage. It is as if at the beginning of this passage we're in the dim twilight. And as we move through it, there's a growing light on the horizon that becomes a glorious sunrise. Verse 13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. So that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Now, Paul shows us three ways to foster this kind of hope. 
First of all, we must remember the promises of God that are given in the scriptures. Secondly, we must remember the reconciling work of King Jesus. And third and finally, we must look to the coming victory of King Jesus. First of all, let's remember the promises of God given in the scriptures. Now, Paul begins uh, our passage here by repeating the same message he's given in chapter 14. Love your neighbor, build up your brother and sister in the Lord, bear with one another. This is verses 1 and 2. And then in verse 3, Paul immediately grounds these imperatives, these utterly important imperatives. He grounds them in the scriptures. He quotes from Psalm chapter 69, which is a prophecy about Jesus who would bear the insults of his enemies. And if Jesus went through that to save us who once were enemies to him, we too should bear the insults of all so that we can show that same love to our enemies and to our neighbors. And Paul says in verse 4, kind of bringing us into a new theme here, a new focus, verse 4, that whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Paul moves from the discussion about welcoming one another, about bearing with one another in love, about loving one another and serving one another, and he moves now to a discussion about the reliability and the utter trustworthiness of the scriptures. When he uses these words, instruction, encouragement, endurance. He's, he's using some words that were familiar to the Jews of his day. These were the words that described what went on every Sabbath in synagogue. When they would read the law, they would read the prophets, it would be a teaching, and instruction for the people, and then whoever was leading that synagogue would give basically a sermon or a homily or what they would call an encouragement to the congregation. And the people of Israel persevered through empire after empire after empire, clinging to their hope because every Sabbath they would gather and remind themselves of those promises that God had given to them in the law, in the prophets, and in the Psalms. And uh, those who took the canon course that I taught last year, uh, we recall that the law, the prophets, and the Psalms is really a shorthand way of saying all of the canon of Scripture. For the Jews of that day, that was the entire Old Testament. And look at what Paul quotes in verses 9 through 13. In verse 9, he quotes from Psalms. In verse 10, he quotes from Deuteronomy. In verse 11, he goes back to Psalms. And then in verse 12, he quotes from Isaiah. He quotes from the law. He quotes from the prophets. He quotes from the Psalms. And what he demonstrates in his own handling of Scripture is that all of Scripture is written for us and speaks to us that message of hope and that reassurance for us that God has promised things and those promises will come to fruition in his timing. These promises, he also calls them in verse 8, he calls them the promises given to the patriarchs. What are those promises? Uh, if we turn back to Genesis, you don't have to flip there right now, uh, but Paul is basically reminding us in one little phrase of these key promises that start the story of salvation, really, in the Old Testament. 
given to Abraham in Genesis 12, in Genesis 15, in Genesis 17, in Genesis 22, all throughout the beginning of Genesis, we have these promises given to Abraham that God chose him and his people, his descendants, ethnic Israel, and through Israel, he would bless all the nations. He would bless the children of Abraham, and through them, he would bless all the nations. Now, these promises in Paul's day, some were starting to doubt. Some were wondering, has God been unfaithful to his promises? How how can you claim so confidently, Paul, that God is faithful to his promises? How can we take these scriptures and really find hope in them if, if we look at the world around us and it seems to tell a contradictory story? This leads us to our next point. Look to the reconciling work of King Jesus. Look at what Paul says. Look at what he zeroes in on in verse 8. Again, this is about the discussion of how Jew and Gentile should welcome one another. And he gives the reason why they should welcome one another in Christ. In verse 8, he says, I tell you that Christ became a servant to those who are circumcised for the truth of God so that he might confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. Look at what Jesus accomplished when he came. He came born as a baby, born under the law, born to the Virgin Mary. He grew up, and when he was 33, he was, when he was 30, he was baptized, and he began his ministry. And who did he call? He called 12 circumcised Jews to be his apostles. He sent them across the land of Israel, across Galilee, and then down into Judea to preach the message that the kingdom of God was near. The promises were about to be fulfilled. And how were they gloriously fulfilled? In the death and resurrection of Jesus that, that, that brought forth that ultimate blessing that God had promised to Abraham, the blessing of eternal life and the promise of the new creation and the kingdom that would come to bring heaven to earth and make all things new as we see in the ministry and the healings of Jesus Christ and of his apostles. And then these 12 Jews, Galileans, who were foolish in the eyes of the Greeks and weak in the eyes of the Romans, they turned the Roman Empire upside down with the good news of Jesus Christ. They reaped a harvest of believers from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and all the way to Rome. And in Paul's hope, it will go also to Spain one day. This was the beginning of the fulfillment of God keeping true to his promises to Israel to bless them and through them to bless all the nations. The story doesn't end there, though. Look at the next, uh, the, the next couple of verses in verse 12 and 13 that speak of a coming victory that is yet to be accomplished. Look especially at verse 12. Again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the nations, and in him will the nations put their hope. Paul, writing this letter perhaps from Corinth, 
looking towards Rome, which perhaps he hadn't visited yet, looking past Rome to Spain that he knew did not have the gospel yet, thinking eastward as well, probably to, the, uh, to ancient Arabia that needed the gospel as well, thinking towards Africa, thinking about the entire world of his day and longing for every tribe and tongue and nation to recognize Jesus as king, knew that there were still promises to be fulfilled. And he looked to the promises given in the prophet Isaiah, that this root of Jesse, this Jesus, this Messiah who was promised, would rule the nations and all of the nations would one day put their hope in him. I had the joy of living and serving in Ethiopia for a number of years, and uh, probably the most uh, effective, the most um, faithful, and the most humble missionary that I've ever met was this Ethiopian man, who some called the Adoniram Judson of, of Ethiopian missionaries. He, he, he uh, first went to Central Asia, and then he went to East Asia, and now he's laboring to, set, to go to another least-reached part of the world, and this man, what keeps him going when he sees, sees the, the, the many people groups in the world that still have not heard the good news of Jesus Christ? This man himself has suffered under persecution in various parts of the world, has risked his life to plant churches and make disciples of people groups that for many years have rejected the gospel and persecuted those who claim Christ as their Lord. And what keeps him going? I often, uh, I, would, I, I would talk with this man and he came to the Bible school where I used to teach and I had him over and we talked for many hours and we shared this song from the, that the Ethiopian Christians in the past few decades would sing when they would mobilize their own people to send the gospel to the, to the regions, to the frontiers that hadn't heard the gospel in their own country and in the past couple decades have sent their own missionaries overseas as well. And this song speaks of our gospel will yet reach to north and south and east and west, to every corner of the earth. Our gospel will be victorious. I'm roughly translating how it is in the Amharic, but when, when these Ethiopian Christians would sing this song, they would sing it in a time when they themselves were under deep persecution, extensive persecution under communist rule. They themselves didn't have the resources even to send their own missionaries across to other lands in the world. But what kept them not only through their own persecution, but, but kept the flame going for their own hope that one day the gospel would be victorious was the promises given in the scriptures. And they sang these promises in a call and response kind of way every single day to one another. And this kind of hope is what animated the mission of Paul, as he looked to the coming victory of King Jesus. Going back to verse 12, again, he's speaking of the root that would come from Jesse, King Jesus, the son of David, who would rule the nations, and in him all nations would put their hope. Paul here also is speaking an implicit word against the pomp and the audacity and the, the, the haughty posture of Rome of that day. 
You see, the Romans thought that their great Caesar Augustus would be the one to bring peace, so-called peace, to all the nations, what they called the Pax Romana, this, this uh, agreement, so to speak, of all the nations being ruthlessly subjugated under the ruthless Roman army from north to south to east to west, ruling them under their thumb and saying, hey, look, we got peace, everyone. Caesar's on the throne. But Paul speaks of a different king, a king who doesn't rule by a sword, a king who takes that sword and turns it upside down into a cross, and who rules by his own death and by his own resurrection. And this king proclaimed in the prophets, embodied and truly Jesus Christ, and now given in this letter to the Christians at Rome, reminds them that whatever persecution they go through, whatever ethnic strife they're struggling through, that their hope is resilient because hope perseveres in the kingdom of God. I want to share one more story to illustrate how resilient hope can persevere. Going back to my time in Ethiopia, I worked on a team with uh, several men from different ethnic groups in Ethiopia. And over a few years, these brothers, they developed a curriculum for training churches in ethnic reconciliation. In 2017, we sent one of our Ethiopian brothers to Rwanda, where he learned the theology and practice of reconciliation. And he learned it from a church that had risen out of the ashes of genocide. In 2017, in Ethiopia, ethnic tensions had reached a fever pitch in many parts of the country. And with a sense of urgency, my dear Ethiopian brother crafted a training program that we could take to churches living on the borders of these ethnic tensions. Now, my family left Ethiopia in 2018 before we can see this training come to fruition. Shortly after we left in 2018, very sadly, in the area where I used to teach in the south of Ethiopia, ethnic tensions erupted between two people groups, leading to 800,000 internally displaced persons. And very sadly, I had former students on both sides of this conflict. And this, brothers and sisters, this almost led me to despair. After spending years uh, teaching the scriptures and preaching the gospel and, and wondering and hoping that, that this would bear fruit in the very area where not only I but countless other workers had worked for decades, this is where this ethnic tension was taking place. My Ethiopian brothers, however, did not despair. They took their reconciliation training on the road. They field tested it in certain areas of the country. And then in early 2021, they went to the heart of that area in the south of Ethiopia where I used to teach, where the ethnic tensions were still high and where the scars of 2018 still remained. And they assembled Christian leaders from both people groups. They, they brought them together into one room. They reminded them of the reconciling work of the cross of Christ, reconciling God and humanity and humankind to one another. On WhatsApp, they sent me a picture of the final day of their training. Church leaders from both people groups 
were on their faces on the ground, bowing down to one another in physical postures of repentance and contrition, asking for forgiveness and freely giving forgiveness. They had written the worst of their grievances against one another on pieces of paper, and they burnt them into a pile of ashes at the foot of a large wooden cross. Amen. Where can the nations of the world find hope for true reconciliation, for true repair? Where can we in America, in a nation divided by race, divided by class, divided across so many lines, and seeing these kinds of divisions in the church, where can we find hope for true reconciliation? Only in the finished work of Christ, the reconciling work of Christ promised in the scriptures and looking towards his coming kingdom. And what does it look like to be a community who has finally grasped this hope? It's given in the one imperative in this passage in verse 7. Therefore, welcome one another just as Christ has welcomed you to the glory of God. A community who has grasped this hope will welcome one another as Christ has welcomed us, would even welcome our enemies into our spaces, into our homes, and love them with the love of Christ as these Christian leaders did to one another in the south of East Ethiopia, as Christians throughout the ages have followed their king in his kingdom. Brothers and sisters, do you have this hope today? If you are on the verge of despair, remember today that hope perseveres in the kingdom of God and run to King Jesus for that hope. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.